Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I am a certified financial planner practitioner. And in this show, I'm going to be talking about current market events and economic data, as well as then helping you understand some financial planning tips and updating you on legislation that would impact your financial life. So let's get started. This is data ending June 15th, that's Friday, and for that week, the Dow ended down a little less than a percent. The NASDAQ was up one and a third percent, and the S&P was flat. So really, you get your choice. Everything is about flat, some of the market's a little down, some of the market's a little up. Gold was down 1.5%, which really makes sense because gold typically goes up as a hedge when conditions look scary, and the markets themselves were very resilient last week, so the fact that gold's a little flat makes sense. Oil is down 2%, again, possibly as a result of a little less issue in the Middle East. However, there was lots of things to talk about this week. I want to start out talking about the Federal Reserve interest rate movement that came out. You know, the Federal Reserve meets periodically, and the FOMC, you may have heard that acronym, it stands for the Federal Open Market Committee. And the Federal Open Market Committee is the group that decides how the economy is doing and what should be done with interest rates. So they met and put out a press release on June 13th, so that would have been Wednesday, saying that they believe that inflation is pretty flat, um, it's up about 2%. We think that job growth is fairly good, unemployment is low, and so because conditions are good, the committee decided to raise the Federal Reserve rate from one and three-quarter percent to two percent. So what that means is if you're looking to borrow money, the rates that you will pay will eventually trickle through to those loans. And probably the rates you pay trickle faster than the rates you receive because for some reason everything seems to go that way. But as the interest rates go up, that means it costs more money. It costs more money to borrow money. And so that will cause your uh, money market accounts at any brokerage account that you have. It will cause your bank accounts because all of those are paying you interest because you've technically loaned money to the institution. So because the FOMC decided to raise rates, you'll get more interest as well as having the potential of having an increase in any sort of a loan that you have that has a floating rate. Now, I'd like to share a few of Chairman Powell. He is the new chairman of the Federal Reserve. And if you remember back in February when I talked about him the first time, I said I really thought this guy was probably going to do a good job. 
And if you go to federalreserve.gov, and I'll go ahead and put that link on the Ask Peggy page on Facebook. So if you want to look it up, it's easier. You can see a transcript of his comments. And one of the things that I really like about his comments is they're easy to understand. He says at the very beginning of them that one of his goals is to make the Federal Reserve movements more transparent so that people like you and me can see what the Fed is doing and understand why they're doing it. And, you know, really, I think transparency is key to the financial markets. I talk a lot about the fiduciary rule and how important it is for someone to act in your best interest. And I'll continue to talk about that probably for months to come until you're sick of hearing about it. But if things were transparent, the fiduciary rule would actually matter less, in my opinion, because you'd see exactly what was going on. I believe that transparency is critical to understanding. I believe that daylight flushes out bad behavior better than anything else. So I was just thrilled when he said he wanted to be transparent. Then I was really thrilled that then he was transparent. And I'm going to summarize a few of the things out of his comments that I thought were interesting. One of the things that's just good background information is they meet eight times a year to look at the economic environment to decide what to do with interest rates. So you know that they're going to meet eight times. They want to make it clear as to why they're doing what they're doing. And then basically he goes into a little more detail over that summary that I just gave you. Median projection for the growth of real GDP is 2.8% for this year. 2.4% for next year and 2% for 2020. Now, that's perfectly acceptable GDP. We're a developed nation. We will not have as fast of a growth rate as a developing nation has because we're much more settled. We're much more set. So, you know, a 2.8, roughly 3, dropping to 2 it's fine. As long as GDP is positive, everything's really floating along just fine in the United States. I say that to counter the narrative that we're going to have growth at 5%, which comes out of the White House and some of the pundits for the president as well as the president himself. It is extremely unlikely that regardless of the economic policies that go in, Regardless of the tariffs causing American jobs to create more manufactured goods, even if it all came back, it is incredibly unlikely that we would go to 5% because we're developed. 5% growth is more of a developing nation GDP. So I want you to understand when you hear numbers, realistically, 2 to 3% is where GDP ought to be. Obviously, the Federal Reserve believes that that's a strong enough GDP that it's okay to go ahead and raise rates. Because if our GDP was really screwed up, remember GDP is gross domestic product. It talks about what we make. If it was really screwed up, then we wouldn't be seeing a raise in the interest rates. Unemployment continues to drop. It's at 3.8%. Now, the 2% inflation rate has been, according to Chairman Powell, 
what the Fed has wanted inflation not to get higher than. It's been the, um, what does he call it? He calls a longer run objective. And that objective is not to get inflation to 2%, it's to keep it at 2%. And we're very close to that number right now. That means that excluding food and energy, the price of everything else is going up about 2% a year. The long-term inflation rate is 3%. And so I think the reason that the chairman has set, and the FOMC, has set 2% as the goal is to give them that 1% of wiggle room. Now, I am saying this. This is not in this document. Because our long-term rate of inflation in the nation is 3%. So if they have a target of not wanting it to get higher than 2 it makes sense. What Powell says in his statement is it takes a very long time for what the Federal Reserve does to flow through the entire market. And other studies and research that I've read in the past have said it can take six months, 12 months, even 18 months for the interest rate movement that happened last week to completely flow through the market. And what that means is the FOMC is always a day late and a dollar short because they're having to react to things, and so they have to anticipate If it takes 18 months for what they do to get all the way through the market, they have to look down the road 18 months in advance and try to figure out where it's all going to be. So that's why I think they have their target at two when the long-term rate is actually three. And then finally, um, he says that his projection for the Fed funds rate, so remember we raised to 2%. He thinks by the end of the year, it'll be 2.4%. That means that they will do probably um, one more, maybe two more interest rate movements this year, 3.1% at the end of 2019, and 3.4% by the end of 2020. So what we see then is through 2019, interest rates are going to go up quite a bit. So it's really important if you have variable interest rates on any debt, you might want to talk to your financial professional and see if you want to do something about that because rates are going nowhere other than up from here. The other piece of the economic update that I want to talk a little bit about today because it was the huge news of last week are all of the trade fights that we seem to be getting into around the globe. Last week was the G7 conference, and our president has announced potential tariffs against Canada, against Mexico, against Europe. And then towards the end of the week, when we thought we had had as much fun as we could, he announced that he wants to put a $50 billion, with a B, tariff against Chinese goods. Now, we just talked about how well the market is doing and how well the economy is doing. If there's anything on the horizon right now that could cause economic issues for the United States, it would be a giant trade war. And that's because we don't just get to put tariffs on other countries. When we put tariffs on other countries, they put tariffs back on us. And we are a major importer of Chinese, and I'm just going to call it consumer discretionary, and I know that's not right because I know we import more from the Chinese other than stuff we like to buy. 
But in a study that I saw, we have an enormous purchase of computers and electronics from China. We like to buy other electrical equipment. We buy a lot of our apparel and machinery and furniture, fabricated metal, leather, plastics, and textiles. We are importers of Chinese products. On that, as an export, we export a lot of food to China. So if they put a tariff on us, then that impacts what happens to our farmers. And it will also, if we put a tariff on them against the goods coming in, that also raises the price of Americans trying to buy that four-dollar T-shirt that you like to purchase so much. It could eventually cause a slowdown in the economy that would do a lot to overturn the optimistic view that the FOMC has. So then the question is, do we worry about it? And right now,、um, mostly because we can do nothing about it, probably the answer is no. But、um, Wall Street's not particularly concerned about it. The overall consensus that I've been reading is Wall Street doesn't believe it's actually really going to happen. So if it does happen, we're going to have a bit of a crisis. Now, interestingly, over the weekend, I always tape on Mondays, and so most of the data is from last week. But over the weekend, India has announced that it's going to put a tariff against American goods, and I don't even know where this is coming from. I don't know any more than that headline that hadn't been a country I'd heard anything about. India and China aren't particularly close. India is sort of independent of all of this, so we're really going to need to pay attention to see what happens next. But if there's an issue right now, it really does involve trade. I was listening to the Business Channel this morning, flipped it over. Are they worried about the same things I'm worried about? And they are. The trade is all everybody's talking about. So just pay attention and make sure that you listen to my radio show or the podcast if you want more information about it. And I will try to keep you in the loop and try to make sure that if things look like they're beginning to go wrong, we see it as soon as we can. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma KVOY 104.5 FM for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. So in the legislative update this week, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about my trip to Washington, which was two weeks ago. Remember, I went with the Financial Planning Association. I'm part of the advocacy group. Advocates go and volunteer their time to fight for causes where lobbyists get paid. So nobody pays me to go to Washington D.C. This was my third trip. I go on my own dime,、um, and this gives us the opportunity to go talk to lawmakers. But I wanted to clear that up because I had someone say, "Oh, wow, you're a lobbyist." It's like, no, if I was a lobbyist. I get paid to do this. We we just all go because we're trying to really protect the consumer. As well as、um, advance the profession of financial planning and show the lawmakers that there really is a noticeable group of people who believe that financial professionals should act in the best interest of their clients. So I walked over five miles in heels. I made it. Had to take the shoes off as soon as I got back to the hotel and haven't put those shoes back on again. 
but we had a great time. I was with the Massachusetts contingency, and so I went and saw the House members, um, the staffers of the people that um, from Massachusetts, and then I talked to Tom Cole's staffer, and then I also talked to James Inhofe's staffer, as well as getting to talk to Senator Inhofe myself which was actually really cool because I've met Senator Langford on a previous trip. He wasn't able to meet this time, but I was able to meet with Senator Inhofe. What we were asking for was an extension of the period of time, the comment period of the new SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission, best interest bill that they've come up with, with the disclaimer so that um, consumers are supposed to be able to understand what's going on. Remember, the SEC has created legislation, or not not legislation, but they've, um, they've come up with a concept that they can put into law because it's the SEC. It does not involve a vote of Congress. The SEC can act independently. Part of that is that to be an advisor, to use that term, you have to be a registered investment advisor. They're also wanting to create better disclosures for consumers. And as part of this, they wanted to beta test the disclosures that they came up with as ideas for consumers, but to do it within the 90-day comment period that they had set up. Well, the problem is by the time you put the comment period out there and then you send the disclosures to the consumers, they actually read them and they get them back and then you compile the data, the 90 days is almost over and nobody's had a chance to read it. So the Financial Planning Association was actually doing a very easy ask this year. Please extend the period of time. 90 days isn't enough to do a beta test, get back the data, analyze it, and then tweak the SEC rule in any way that makes sense because of unintended consequences. And I was really pleased that Senator Inhofe thought this was a great idea. So I I was glad for that. I was glad to get a chance to visit with him. Of course, I always manage to fit in. And oh, by the way, everybody in finance should be a fiduciary. So I'm still trying. But I really believe that dialogue is the best way to make things happen. And I think that going in and actually being able to come to a consensus on something might build a better relationship. So if I have something else bigger to ask for next time, he might listen more. So I was really excited and really optimistic. It was a great trip. We had a reception with 10 members of the House of Representatives the night before. I'll be going again next year. So it was a good trip. I think we might have done something to really help consumers this time. And I'll let you know how it turns out. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and this is the Plan Your Prosperity section of the show, where we talk about financial planning topics. I thought today, because the SEC best interest rule, which isn't the fiduciary standard, and the Department of Labor fiduciary standard really being on life support at this point, if not altogether dead, I wanted to share something with you that I got off of the CFP Board of Standards website. 
That's the certifying body that creates the CFP certification, that certificate that I hold that we believe people who call themselves financial planners should hold. But you don't actually have to be working with a certified financial planner or interviewing certified financial planners to try to get a sense of what do you ask somebody if you're in there and you need a new financial professional and you don't know who to choose and you don't know what to do? And of course, all of the brochures look great and everybody has a good line. So the CFP Board of Standards has 10 questions to ask your financial advisor. And if I haven't put this link up on the Ask Peggy page, I'll make sure that I get that up there as well. So the first question, it's 10 questions. What experience do you have? And remember that CFP certificates must have two years of experience in order to use the designation. Now, granted, if no one works with somebody new, the new planners have a really hard time entering the profession. I totally understand that. Nevertheless, you probably don't want to be a CFP certificate or any financial advisor's first client. And if you know you're their first client and you're okay with it, then you want to really work with them and make this a partnership to make sure the whole thing doesn't go totally off the rails. That's what I think. That wasn't on the CFP side. The second is, what are your qualifications? What are the designations that they hold? You may be working with someone who you really like who isn't a CFP certificate, and that's fine. You want to know what designations they hold, and then here's the trick. You need to ask them what they had to do to get that designation. So you need to know, was there an exam? Did they get it on a Saturday morning? Did they do a two-month program? It will really help you understand, understand the rigor of what your financial advisor has done outside of their licensing. We all have to have the license. So having the license isn't some major accomplishment. Without the license, you can't be in business. So really, you're looking at things beyond that that they have done to stay current in their field. Number three, what financial planning services do you offer? If you need a financial planner, you need to make sure that the person that you're working with offers financial planning. And it should feel comprehensive. They should be talking about things like cash flow. They can talk about insurance and investments, but they should talk about figuring out how much money you need for retirement. There might be some tax planning going on. There might be some really basic estate planning, and unless your advisor happens to be an attorney, but you don't want to leave the estate completely out of the conversation. You want to look at things like college funding. It should feel like the person that you're working with is working with your entire financial life. Then what is your approach? We all have our own biases. Even advisors who are doing everything, you know, they've, they've checked every single box. They're going to have ways they tend to think. Advisors just need to admit to you where their mind is. And so if they believe that choosing single stocks is a great way to go, then they need to have a reason they think that. If they believe in indexing, they need to have a reason. You're interested, A, in how they do business, but you're also interested in why. You'll learn more many times from the why than you will the what. What type of clients do you typically work with? You probably don't want to be the biggest or the smallest client. 
it, you need to know, do you look like these people? Does it seem like your advisor will have the skill set that he or she needs to work with you in your particular circumstances? Are you going to be the only financial planner working with me? Or are you going to get handed off to a staffer for part of the process? Again, it's not, there isn't really a wrong answer here. If you are working with multiple people, you need to know who has oversight. You need to know what everybody's role is, and it just needs to be disclosed. You need to know how they're working, and you need to make sure that the certified financial planner practitioner is looking the plan over if a younger staff member is putting it together. What do you charge? How are you compensated? So is it fee? Is it commission? Is it a hybrid? How much money is it? Now, here's where I go much further out on a limb than anyone else that I hear anywhere, including the CFP board, including Financial Planning Association. I believe it doesn't matter just how they're paid, but I want to know how much they're paid. I think you have the right to know if you're working with me or a financial advisor, how much money they got. Well, you got commission. Well, how much commission? I charge a fee. How much fee? So I think you need to know how they're paid and how much, even for money that's coming from the company of the product that they've sold, if that's how they do business. Do others stand to gain from the financial advice that you gave me? So if I refer someone to an insurance agent, does that insurance agent make money? Do I pay a finder's fee or do I receive a finder's fee? You need to know what your financial advisor is doing. How is that money changing hands? It will help you understand where places might not be objective. And then finally, have you ever been publicly disciplined for any unlawful or unethical actions? You can look on the CFP board website if there's a CFP certificate. You can look on the FINRA, F-I-N-R-A website if they're not. These questions really help put you in the driver's seat. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment. I've been a little long-winded in the show, but the last question is short. Remember, if you have a question you'd like for me to answer on the show, you can write it on the Ask Peggy Facebook page. Just go to Facebook, look for Ask Peggy, send the question. It's also where I'm trying to start putting material from the show. So this week's question comes from Kyla, who says, Peggy, I'm getting married next year. What can I do so that my wedding doesn't ruin us financially? Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Congratulations on planning early. It's much easier to do any big event if you've got enough time that you're not rushed. So start early. Find that dress as soon as you can so that you're not just desperate trying to go out and buy something. If you choose the venue early, not only is the venue that you want more likely to be available, but you might be able to get a discount if you prepay some of it. You might be able to cut that cost overall or maybe get them to include things like the flowers, the table runners, the tablecloths. We've had a lot of weddings in the family this year for me. So I know that all of these things really add up. Begin saving money. 
You know, it used to be that the parents of the bride paid for the wedding, but today, as people are getting married a little bit older, I think that the couple covering a lot of the expenses is great. Of course, if the bride's family wants to pay. That's nice too, but I really think that everyone who's paying needs to start early, and there's nothing wrong with the bride and groom helping to pay some of this. If you figure out what it's going to cost and you start saving a little bit at a time, it makes it not hurt as bad when the big day happens, and you'll have a little money left for the unexpected expenses that you know are coming down. Even though June is popular, consider a different month because a different month might be cheaper in the venue that you're looking for, as well as demand not being as high, so you have more flexibility of dates. Try to get your friends or your family or anybody crafty that you know to do as much of your wedding yourself as you can. I know that it's great to just write checks and let other people do it, but the more you do, the more money you'll save. And then finally, don't just go crazy on the honeymoon. Choose a place that you can afford. You're going to have a great time together. Picnics on the beach are more fun than expensive restaurants, and they're way less expensive. So that's all the time we have. Have a great week. See you next time. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma KVOY 104.5 FM for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money. <laughs>